Welcome to the Tej Talks Podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. I'm back, baby. As you can see, we've got a whole new series with a whole new range of guests. And of course, my usual solo updates. So today we have James Baker on the show. Now, James has a really interesting pre-property history. I really want to talk about that a lot, but we spoke about property. Uh, James bought his first property in 2013 after he sold his outdoor adventure management business. That's a pretty cool business. Uh, he then actually went to work for a billionaire on one of the most prestigious super yacht, not a yacht, not a boat, not a dinghy, a super yacht as a personal scuba diving instructor. So he also talks about the reality of that and what it's actually like, and it may not be as glamorous as as we kind of think, and there's a lot of partying, which is not a bad thing. Uh, When he came back to the UK, he then built his portfolio very heavily in buy to SA, which is something a lot of people, I don't know, don't really talk about. There's a lot of rent to SA, there's a lot of buy to let, but we don't really delve into, well, hold on a minute, you're buying it, why don't you turn it into a serviced accommodation? There's something here. And then we talk about how he's moving into kind of bigger projects that, you know, are taking what he's done in SA to a much bigger scale uh, and a much bigger level in property. More money, more problems, you know what they say. So this is a really good one because if you're thinking, I want to quit my job, I want to do buy to lets, but buy to lets are so slow, then why aren't we looking at buy to SA? Because you'll hear from the figures we get into pretty quickly, James developed a pretty tidy income. Go and get my books. They're on Amazon. The second one, Behind the Bricks. 43 property investors are sharing their stories with you. It's about 350 pages long. All of this is new content. They have not shared this before anywhere. And you're probably going to recognize most of them. Also, go to thepropertyevent.co.uk. Uncle James and I are starting something amazing. See you soon. James, welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Thank you for having me, Tej. Very much looking forward to uh, being part of it. Uh, You know, you have a really interesting pre-property story, actually, which I know this is a property podcast, but I am really interested in in the things you did beforehand because you 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 were working with some or an interesting person doing some pretty, I would say, pretty fun stuff. Uh, And then now, you know, in property, since when you started, you're moving on to bigger things and with, you know, Dan, who, who I also know. But before we get into the property piece and kind of what you're doing now and how the listeners can really benefit from this, let's talk about what was James doing before property? What's your kind of pre-story? Okay, well, I suppose for me, I've always shared a love for the service industry. It's one of the first jobs I ever had. Uh, I was working uh, at a hotel when I was 14. Uh, I suppose you could look back at it now (laughs) saying a bit illegally, but I went there begging uh, for a job. Always come from quite, um, uh, I'd say, an entrepreneurial family. Uh, My mum is a psychiatrist. She's got her own practice from home and has done for about 35 years. My dad um, had a, a property business, not developing, but had his own estate agency uh, which I'll come on to a bit later but I was I suppose kind of surrounded by that entrepreneurial flair so get up and go and find work uh, and make things for yourself so I started in the service industry when I was 14 uh, in hotels um, and then I went on to work uh, when I was about 16 17 as a, a recreation manager for a, a sports um, uh, place uh, where I became a duty manager there so 
from an early age, I started learning that I like to help people and work with people. I was definitely a people person. Wasn't particularly that academic at school. I wasn't getting great grades, if you like. But I I had this communication skill with people. And that was sort of my forte that I kind of uh, developed. I then went on uh, with a bit of a chapter in my life where I went traveling around the world. And this is where um, my love for the outdoors came in. Um, I'm a qualified uh, rock climbing instructor. Uh, I'm a scuba diving instructor. I'm a ski instructor. And all these things I did whilst I was uh, traveling. When I came back from uh, traveling, I then decided, uh, well, I didn't decide. I was kind of like, I didn't really know what I was going to do next. So I sort of caught up with some of my friends and they'd kind of gone down the route of going to university. And I sort of knew academically, I probably didn't have the grades, but I found a course that was outdoor adventure management business. And that was, um, you know, that was for me, the prospectus book had white water rafting on it. I thought, well, it's better than getting a a full-time job. So I'll go and do that. So I went to Southampton University, did a degree in outdoor adventure management business. So I suppose there I was sort of enhancing my entrepreneurial flair that I built up through my uh, family and marrying it with my love for the outdoors. And I I met a chap on my course and we we set up a business that was doing rock climbing and scuba diving holidays uh, around the world. So essentially, you know, a tour operator, but specifically geared for activities such as climbing and diving. Had that for three years and then uh, it was making okay money, but it wasn't giving me, you know, a decent profit to kind of live on. I was quite young at the time when I had it, 22, 23, fairly young and naive. Uh, so we sold that business, got a little bit for it, but nothing crazy. And then I sort of got into that, well, what do I do next mode again? And a friend of mine had told me about this wonderful world of super yachting. And it's basically, for people who don't know, uh, billionaires have toys, just like we have toys that might be a jet ski um, that we play on on the weekend. They have you know, big yachts, billion pound yachts um, in some cases, and they have people that work on them. And someone told me that you could take home pretty much five grand a month tax free and you had no life overhead. So no gas, no electric. And you sailed around the world going to amazing places. And I just thought, well, I absolutely love property. Um, I got first introduced to property through my dad being an estate agent. And I thought, well, this would be a good way to um, save money very quickly. Um, And then I started saving up money whilst working on this uh, super yacht um, and then bought my first property without even seeing it. Um, And that was with my father who um, had this estate agency in Reading and I was earning money on the super yachts. And he basically just, I gave him sort of power of attorney, if you like. And he sort of got me uh, my first property which I'll come on to a bit later. Um, But then when I came out of um, super yachting, um, I came out for it because it just wasn't a sustainable lifestyle for me Um, without sounding too morbid. I'd lost a couple of uh, friends uh, through suicide and I couldn't get back for their um, uh, funeral. I missed my mum's 60th. And although it was a great life, it wasn't real. And I'd seen like 40, 50 year olds that are still stuck in super yachting because it is, you know, it's quite a cool life. Uh, But they seem very lost they hadn't got married they hadn't 
you know, from relationships. Uh, and they, they were just, you know, stuck floating on super yachts. I didn't want to be that statistic. So I came out back to Reading, my hometown where I'm from. And I'll be completely honest, Tej, I felt very, very lost. I, once again, I didn't know what to do next. I had money in the bank, but my, um, my dad had actually moved to Cornwall and sold his business. Uh, so I caught up with him, uh, in Cornwall and, uh, I naturally sort of honed in on Cornwall because I love the outdoors. I love my outdoor pursuits and coming from a super yacht in Tahiti, uh, to coming to Reading just didn't suit me. And I found myself wanting to move to Cornwall. Um, so I moved to Cornwall. I got offered a job immediately, right place, right time, which was a, a luxury, um, holiday lettings manager in a little place called Rock, which is a bit of a sort of high end, uh, rich little pocket, a bit like Sandbanks, uh, if you like. And, uh, I became a property manager for them for four years and I was gobsmacked at how people could buy property, develop it, and then they were charging it out £15,000 per week. I was absolutely gobsmacked by that. Um, So uh, this is where I changed my thought process about property and that I wanted to take it a bit more seriously and become a developer uh, but I won't go on too much about that because that's to that point that's my <laughs> life for uh, property really uh, so I did that for four years then came out. Wow I mean yeah the, the super yacht piece is, is so interesting because obviously you would have been surrounded by you know like wealthy and super wealthy people I think nowadays you know and well, I suppose at any point people would pay to kind of be around these people because of what you could learn from them, what you can take in from how they are and their habits and their daily routines and all that kind of stuff. At this point in your life, you know, were you sort of, you know, were you and did you learn anything from them or were you in the sort of more the mindset of I'm working here, it's my job and that's it? It's a good question. I was one of the lucky ones on the boat. By lucky, I mean, I was the owner's diving instructor. So I got more personal one-on-one time with the owner as opposed to maybe like my colleagues who were on, you know, the deck. Basically, Ted, I was deck crew. I was a glorified cleaner. I pushed water around the boat. I kept my head down. Uh, I did party quite a lot, but it wasn't a particularly amazing job in terms of what you did. It was very easy. Uh, you could probably do it on a hangover without a problem. It's quite a boozy culture in yachting, but that was 90% of the time. 10% of the time I was diving, but that time I did get with the owner. I suppose, again, this is where my communication skills uh, came in. And I've worked with high net worth individuals. Uh, Previously, I've been a ski instructor and ski guided uh, famous tennis players that we all know and stuff like that. Um, So I I learned how to talk to these people. And it was quite a nice breakdown with diving because I couldn't care whether you are Michael Jackson back from the dead and I'm taking you diving or you're just someone who's never done diving before. Safety is paramount. And I treat everybody the same as you should do in diving and you know um, I said look this is quite a dangerous sport we need to listen because you're not supposed to be breathing underwater really and I am taking you down into a wreck so you will shut up and you will listen to me it doesn't matter how much money you've got you know um, so yeah I sort of heard about their story and this guy I worked for I can't give too much information away but uh, he was 11th richest in the world at the time owned some of the largest in fact he did own the largest gold, silver and platinum mine. so really you know we're talking top billion 
millionaires here uh, with a hundred meter yacht. And uh, yeah, I sort of heard about his story and uh, it was very, very interesting. And, uh, you know, it gave me the confidence to talk to really high net worth individual because they are just people just like us. And, you know, most of the time they're quite helpful when people get to that wealth. Um, you know, they do want to help other people. So I suppose it gave me that skill to, you know, talk to people and which I know for me, want to learn a bit more about properties that we do need investors or for my model which i'll come on to later um you do need to borrow money so yeah it gave me that personal time with the owner and i, I did learn a huge amount i was privileged really as the diving instructor that i could get that one-on-one time uh, with them when we surface from dives and things like that that's interesting you know and i think you know for people who are i suppose for people who are maybe looking for something to do you know at some point in their life if they have some sort of skill like you did and, and training with this diving you know earning 5k a month to live on a boat I, I know what you mean about you know the kind of boozy culture and obviously it gets too much at a certain point but like i think it's incredible to think that you know you can get paid that much to do potentially what you love to an extent i know you said it was an easy job and you know it wasn't exactly the most stimulating but you know there's maybe it's an idea for people out there who are thinking well you know i hate my job i you know i need to save up some money i want to get into property well there's so many opportunities and something like this could you know, be useful for people for a few years, uh, not even a few years, maybe even a few months, uh, is something that people could consider, right? Just another opportunity, just another thing that's out there that is going to earn you good money, potentially get you around certain people, uh, and yeah, get you traveling. And, and super yachts are, are pretty freaking cool. I think the most expensive super yacht in the world called a sailing yacht, um, by some Russian billionaire and like, yeah, seeing that just out of nowhere, it was just pretty freaking epic. So yeah, it'd be pretty interesting to kind of work on one of those, at least in the short term. So, you know, you said that when you, you know, you bought the first property kind of with your dad, you know, he was kind of doing his thing while you were doing your thing. When you came back and you, you know, you kind of said you saw these developers making so much money doing what they were doing. Did you, you know, because a lot of people feel this way, did you feel somewhat like lost or kind of confused about what strategy you should follow when you sort of went to Cornwall and were like fully going into property? Yeah, no, I did, um, Tej. Uh, it was... I knew about property, but I didn't know that much. I really just knew the buy-to-let model. That was quite basic. You buy a property, you tie your money up in it, um, and then, you know, that's it. You rent it out and you make a yield. If you're getting in the sort of 6% plus, you're doing fairly well. Uh, But I, I didn't really know how to keep doing it i just sort of saw it as i'd have to go back on the super yachts and start saving money um but i did see these uh i wouldn't necessarily just call them like developers they were just people with a lot of money that had you know, previously had businesses, they sold it and they had a lot of capital, uh, but they knew that they could buy lovely properties in Cornwall, in places like Rock, uh, and, you know, rent them out for silly amounts. Their returns were very good. So what's them doing that? But I was like, okay, maybe I should look into this property business a bit more. Maybe there's a way that I don't just have to be buy to let, buy a property, then sit on it and wait for capital growth before I could refinance. Maybe there's a quicker way. And this is where I started learning about BRR, the buy, uh, renovate and refinance model. Um, So I decided 
to maybe get a decent magazine what would that be so i started um reading ypn uh and that started broadening my horizons a bit more that there i could probably get into uh going to a local property meet i didn't even realize that these existed so i went to my local uh property meet down here in cornwall and then i just met loads of like-minded people and they were me, oh james there's loads of strategies that you can do and uh the hard bit is actually picking one that's you know suitable to to you and I, I sort of learned through those people about buy renovate refinance and then I sort of spotted the guy uh, who was running the um, pin meeting uh, it wasn't actually specifically a pin meeting it was just a property group get together and uh, I heard that he did mentoring uh, so I thought you know what I'm going to pull him to one side after about six meets that I'd been to and I said you know I, I do I hope you don't mind me asking but I hear you do um mentoring is it something that you might have capacity to mentor me because i'm really keen to take my property uh portfolio to the next level and i really want to get into this momentum buying and i want to you know sort of be buying two three four five a year is that something that you would be interested in and he took me to one side and said you know do you really want it and he asked me some criteria uh and then that was it i started learning this new strategy and yeah it wasn't cheap but my god having that accountability to a mentor made me realize that oh my God, I can actually do this. Because what I wanted, Tej, was that passive income to replace my salary as we all hear and leave the day job uh, and, you know, be a full-time property developer on my terms and take the day off where I want to. So no, I didn't know a strategy, but going to my local property meet uh, gave me that access to, you know, like-minded people. I found a mentor, which I think is the best thing that I've ever done really in my life for many reasons. And uh, yeah, that's how I sort of progressed in my property journey. That's interesting because I suppose there's two or maybe there's three kind of main camps when it comes to like mentorship or education. There's never getting one and that that's that camp, I suppose. Then there's the, all right, I'll try it first. I'll maybe rush in, maybe lose some money, maybe mess up and then I'll get a mentor to kind of guide me along the way. And then there's, I think, the camp you were in, which is right. If I'm going to do this, you know, yes, I could do it without a mentor. Yes, I could spend X amount of time, X amount of money, whatever, whatever, learning this and trying to get kind of the accountability and the kind of slow way, which which does work, you know, it, it does definitely work. But you went for, right, let me get a professional in, been there, done it, hold me accountable, guide me along the way, train me along the way. And clearly it's paid off for you, you know, because, and, and I'm not saying there's a, there's a correct approach, you know, everyone is different and, and some people may not like having a mentor from day one or may never want one, et cetera, et cetera. But for you, and, and I suppose for the listeners, what are the key things you looked for in a mentor? What are the kind of, I suppose, tangible things um, in their character, in their personality or in their experience or their offering that you thought, yeah, this is this is what I want. And this is what's going to help me. Yeah, that's a good question. So I did fish around for mentors and some of the people I met at the property meet uh, kind of, you know, kind of hinting that, oh, I can mentor you. And, you know, I get it. Mentoring is another way to make uh, extra money. Uh, I also do mentoring myself. I've got five mentees um, that I, I mentor and I've already managed to get a few financially free. So I get the the idea of mentoring. But for me, it was somebody that I could, you know, I liked and I could get along with. Uh, and I knew that through listening to this um, property meet uh, host 
uh, and also somebody that had the experience and I wanted to see that they had a decent sized portfolio uh, for themselves I wanted to see that they had adopted the strategy that I wanted to uh, do because it's very easy uh, a bit like sort of mortgage brokers uh, you know you can get a really really good mortgage broker but they know nothing about bridging loans they know nothing about buy renovate refinance they don't mind that uh, you know they just don't know that strategy it doesn't make them a bad broker but it just means they're not specialists in your sector so I looked for somebody who was going to be you know helpful and knowledgeable with the strategy I knew the buy renovate refinance was the one for me because it was going to get me to where I wanted to be sort of you know quicker I also would say for me I'm quite a tangible person in terms of I wouldn't want to just do it over Zoom I mean forget the pandemic for the moment but uh, I wanted somebody that I could actually have fairly local to me and uh, my mentor was in Plymouth uh, so I knew that wasn't too far away it's about an hour's drive uh, a bit like where I invested in property I didn't want to be more than uh, an hour away in the beginning stages but uh, yeah that I had to be able to go and see them meet up with them in a cafe restaurant somewhere quiet where we could physically see one another so I know people do mentoring from you know even abroad and that just wasn't for me um so yeah I think they had to be yeah very very close by um so that I could you know go and see them physically uh and then also just somebody that would offer a bit more than the mentoring in terms of that one hour meet per month they would offer me things like whatsapp um to call them up on the phone if i'm you know about to do a deal and i'm not too sure about it so i wanted that little bit extra from them which this person agreed to do so i suppose it went a bit more than the hour mentoring i wanted that aftercare package uh to help me uh, make decisions um on certain things that i was doing so yeah i'd say they those are the things i was looking for tej I think, yeah, the aftercare one is is really interesting. When I speak to people, you know, as much as that sort of the hour a month or however often it is that they are looking for or want, there's kind of always that aftercare piece, which I think a lot of people don't know how to describe because it's it's exactly what you said. It's like, oh, I've, I've just had an offer accepted, but oh my God, I don't know if it's actually right. Or like, oh, I'm viewing this new type of deal in, in you know, a couple of days and ah, oh, but our session's in a week. So, oh, can I, you know, it's kind of like that sort of as and when support and that kind of on-demand thing, which, you know, it's not going to be cheap. I don't think it should be cheap either um, because of the nature of it, but it can be incredibly helpful given that, you know, a deal could come up in an hour. You know, once we're off this podcast, we could both find an amazing deal. And if, you know, we have mentors and they're not available, you know, our meeting's not for three weeks, it does really help to have that. So I think that in particular is something people need to think about because you can miss deals in hours in days like especially in this in this market so you found your you know look back to your story you you found your mentor happy days all signed up ready to go what was your sort of i suppose what were the first steps to get to your first kind of deal you know in this approach and and then what was your first deal well it i had a problem actually which is where my kind of my first deal of buy renovate refinance came from so we talked previously that i bought that property whilst i was on the yachts uh in reading uh and it was a standard buy to let it wasn't any refinance and renovate i just bought it and let it out but over the time that i was on the yachts uh the property was in Reading. We had the cross rail that was announced and the property had gone up quite a bit by about £50,000 in three years, which was amazing. Um, it was having great
great growth in Reading. So pre-getting the mentor, what I actually did do is I did simply refinance the property and uh, I got my uh, deposit back out and I did buy another property uh, in Cornwall. Again, this wasn't buy, renovate, refinance. But when I had spoken to my mentor, he said, ah, shame you bought that one because my strategy is buying something that is below market value where you can add value and then you refinance it over like a six month period. I was like, oh, if only I'd known about that. Well, maybe what I could do, Mr. Mentor, uh, is I could sell that property, get my money back out and do that. So what I chose to do, Tej, is I put that property on the market and for love nor money, I couldn't seem to sell it. I didn't know why it wasn't at a silly price. It just wasn't selling. And that went on for about four months. So I said to my mentor, you know, we can't seem to sell it at the moment. And he sort of said, well, not being funny, James. It's a one bed flat. You're in Cornwall. You're a property manager for a holiday lettings company. Uh, It's costing you money at the moment because the tenants have moved out because they'd caught wind. I was selling it and they were worried. And I had an empty, I had a liability on my hands. So I thought, do you know what? It's been four months. I haven't sold it. Uh, Let's just put it on Airbnb. Let's have a go. This was the turning point. I put the property on Airbnb uh, and I was doing it at like £60 a night and I couldn't believe it. June, July, August and September were fully booked within two weeks. And I was working out the figures, what I was getting from it. And it was just astronomical. You know, the mortgage was costing me about 255 uh, interest only. Uh, and I was making in the June, July, August, I was, you know, getting about sort of £2,000 uh, gross each month. And I was like, right, first things first, I'm not going to sell it. I'm going to go and um, uh, speak to the agent. Really sorry, guys. I'm going to take this off the market. I just continued airbnb it. And I was like, I found my niche here. But it was right under my nose test. I was a property manager. Why didn't I see the light? Um, So I didn't sell that property. Uh, I made a a really good summer's uh, bit of savings from that. So I had about 10 grand, but I knew I was going to need more money. Then my mentor started saying, right, on the next one, let's do this buy, renovate, refinance. And um, I sort of thought also what is under my nose. I've got all these people that I manage their properties for through my company, they're high net worth individuals. So I made a list of all of them uh, and then picked out three that I get on really well with. I sat um, them down and spoke to them about what I was trying to do. You know, I'm doing uh, a deal where I can give you a return, basically a loan for a nice uh, bit of uh, interest. In this case, it was 10%. And one of them uh, signed up to it. um, And I had uh, my next deposit. um, And my mentor taught me how to find uh, deals that been on uh, on right move for a while um, and I found one in particular and this one was called Granny Cottage. Uh, it was on the market about 170,000 and it had been on for 13 months. I did a bit of digging and found out that the um, uh, the seller was very, very keen to sell uh, but they no one wanted this property but I knew it was in an area that would rent out well and I actually managed to secure the property, cut long story short, for um, 152,000. So it was quite a bit below market value and I knew there was bags of opportunity uh, to add value Um, and that was my renovate refinance journey started and I bought this property um, and I managed to recycle all the money out uh, within six months and then I went again that was how my first deal came about and I had my strategy and I had my mentor and I was you know loaded with high octane drive and I wanted this passive income more than anything else and yeah off I went to rinse and repeat and that was it. Wow. And I think that granny cottage is on, is on Airbnb, right? 
It is indeed, yes. I, yeah, I think I've seen that. It's got really nice features and like it's yeah, it is a proper cute kind of cottage. So yeah, I I really like that one. And it's in a really nice it's in like a fishing village, right? Yes, it is. It is indeed. That looks really nice. And then so you know, we're talking about serviced accommodation, right? In terms of how, what you're doing with these properties generally. Absolutely. I, I decided I wanted to go down service accommodation just because from a buy to let aspect, I mean, this is in my experience, not to say it is, but you're generally going to make somewhere between 300 and 400. That's what I found with buy to let. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's call it 350 meet in the middle. But I sort of worked out, well, I really, for my life overheads, I needed to get to that two grand mark. Then mm-hmm. if I divide that by 350, then you're sort of looking at five properties. That, well, that could take me quite a while, but service accommodation, I could buy much cheaper properties um, and I could make a lot more per calendar month. And I knew the work was going to be more with cleaners and you know guests, but I did that as my day job. So it was just a no brainer for me. Yeah, I think I love service accommodation. I mean, I love it as a model. I love the fact that you can go to town on the property and you can dress it and you can really kind of take it from a wreck to fully dressed and to actually be like a home or or holiday home in this case. And what you're saying about the income is spot on. I'd say my buy to let's average 350, uh, but my SA probably averages in terms of profit. I mean, the average is so hard because the summer is like three times as much, but I would say average is at least sort of five, six hundred a month. And then in summer, it can go up to one and a half. And you just think, wow, you know, like, and I don't know how and we'll speak about this, actually, but mine is like totally managed. It's the most passive thing I've ever had in my life is incredible. And for it to be this hands off and to produce this much money, like, like, wow, I need more of these. Like, I love essay. But a couple of questions for you then. So when you were doing this essay and like I said it's in a fishing village a very cute you know very sort of you know nice English kind of staycation what was your view or research on the risk because you know a lot of people say with this you know come to me with essay and if especially if they're doing rent to essay where they've got bigger outgoings in terms of rent whereas you know we have a mortgage here they say well if it's just holiday people then what happens in you know winter and what happens when you know the people aren't on holidays and stuff and so what was your risk appetite or research for, you know, who's going to be my target market and how, what kind of occupants am I going to get? Again, that's a really good question. And I had been obviously working um, for this company in Rock. Uh, and they were really, really high end properties. You know, when you're spending sort of 15 grand a week or whatever, albeit the, the winter rates were cheaper, but they were very, very big properties. So they would in some cases, they sleep 20 people. Now, you try and get away a week's rental for 20 people, uh, let's call it a bit cheaper, 11 grand, uh, Yeah, in the bleak of November. Uh, you don't normally get a family that all come together or two families that are going to share it. So those big properties, uh, they didn't really do very well in the winter. However, I did know with the properties that I were going after, they were sort of one or two bedrooms. Uh, now, the one bedrooms were very good for like walkers and things like that and couples that still would come away to Cornwall. But as we're lots of things in life I always find that if the price is right people will still come away and I was looking at all the other Airbnbs in the area and a lot of them just shut off for the winter they just said look you can't book so I saw that as an opportunity because I wanted to get as many days away as I possibly could so whereas some of my sort of smaller Airbnbs were sort of 60 65 pounds a night I would be happy to bring that right the way down to 29 pounds a night people are like god you're mad doing that I'm like well yeah but 
if I get 31 days away in November, which I did at that sort of price, it still makes me a profit. So I looked at other Airbnbs that were still getting bookings in November, December, January and February. Um, and I thought, well, if they can do it, there's no reason that I can't. Everybody has a price. And there are people that can't afford, you know, Airbnbs in the summer months and they really don't have much money. But if the price is right, God, yeah, they make the travel from uh, Reading, London, wherever, if they're going to pay £29 a night. And I knew I could still make a profit. So I saw this strategy as just literally rent out as many days as I can, be all the competition competition and drop your rates right down in the winter and get as much honey in the hive at full rates, minimum seven nights stay in the sort of June, July and August. So I would allow people to stay for three nights in November, but I did get, you know, those days and nights away. Um, so yeah, I, I sort of did say, you know, there was a bit of a risk, but with my strategy, just be very careful on the areas that you're going to be, um, uh, you know, buying in and and see if there's, uh, you know, couples like walking in Cornwall. That's a big market. People underestimate. They think they're just coming down for a beach holiday. Well, beach holiday is no good in November because it's grim. Um, so but do people to go walking in the rain? Well, yeah, they do. So I went in areas that were sort of not far from the beach, but also had a, you know, countryside where they could go walking as well. And I've, I've never had a problem like renting out all year round. So I was really pleased about that. Interesting. I, and I think that really highlights like knowing your area, which you don't have to be from the area. You don't have to live there to know it. You know, you can do a lot of research even from your desktop and obviously speaking to people locally. But that is a really good example of knowing your market and knowing what is happening and what people do there you know if, for people who are investing in maybe a city or a town you might know oh well amazon have got you know they're building a new warehouse there's going to be hundreds of builders here and then there's going to be hundreds of workers here and then you know it, you can kind of shape your strategy around what's happening so yeah i think that's that's a really kind of good way of doing it and of course you've got things like air dna and other you know websites which can give you know the listeners data and insight into different areas and and kind of um yeah the same numbers basically so you know as you were doing this service accommodation obviously it was, it was working well things were working out how did you then progress i mean did you build yourself a portfolio of you know service accommodation units that you own or yeah how did you progress from that yeah so basically i just had my mentor I had my investor, I had my strategy, and I had my full-time day job. So I just had to, at the time I was single, which did help, so I really could give my full focus. Uh, and if I wasn't working for my day job, I was doing uh, property uh, scanning and searching and uh, working alongside my mentor, just you know, really, really trying to push forward um, and get as many deals as I could. And for me, um, i got to be honest, I do think the stars aligned um, in Cornwall when the pandemic first hit. Everybody was telling me, James, I don't know about you, I'm really trying to go for this property thing, but you know, the market's going to crash uh, and Cornwall is going to be on its knees by Christmas uh, with this pandemic. You're, I think you're taking too much risk. And this is just where I separated myself from the negativity. Some of it was from my uh, sort of family and I know it's not they're trying to be nasty to me, but they're just trying to, you know, be cautious from when they're worried about me. But, you know, as you know, Tej, in entrepreneurship, you have to take risks. But I believe they're calculated uh, risks. And I just thought there's no way in a million years with the likes of Zoom and everything 
people are going to actually move to Cornwall in a year's time or whatever because they're going to be going, well, if you can work from Zoom and the companies are going, well, why are we renting out tens of thousands of pounds on office space? You can work from home. Those people are going to go, well, why are we spending £800 a month on a studio flat in London when we could spend a lot less for a two-bed apartment in, I don't know, Padstow with a sea view and we've got the beauty of Cornwall. Why don't we have a new... I knew this was going to go this way, um, but I sort of, you know, kept my head down and go, yeah, all right, okay, yeah, it's going to be on its knees, but it gave me the best opportunity in the world uh, to start asking ridiculous offers on properties and that's exactly what I did and I sort of secured in one month four deals, offer accepted, and it was about, I'm serious, some of them were up to 35% below market value, but they felt blessed and lucky that someone wanted to buy it in this really shaky time. And I know we sort of heard stories with, you know, sort of, you know, Rob Moore and Mark Homer, you know, all with the progressive story that they built up at their portfolio in the recession in 2008. And, you know, I, I seem, I saw myself doing the same thing, but I knew, I believed that the market was going to go one way and it was going to go north. So I just bought up everything in the pandemic I possibly could, Tej. I bit off way more than I can chew, but I knew it was worth it because I was going to be able to recycle that money with my model. Um, so I just went for it um, in 2019 and 2020. Uh, and I managed to get six properties in one year and just went for it and managed to get to my financial free uh, number and came out the day job uh, in December 2020. Wow. I think a lot of us are kicking ourselves because we didn't do that. I remember when, yeah, it hit and it was just kind of like unknown. You know, it was just, we don't know what's happening. You know, we've never had this, you know, actual lockdown of humans. And it was, and I remember there being a time like that when, yeah, the property market was like that. But obviously since then, it's just ridiculous. And, you know, it's just, everything's overpriced and people are overpaying right now. So it definitely shifted really quickly. But I mean, yeah, good on you for taking that opportunity at that time because it's risky because it's it's unknown. Um, but of course, you can mitigate that because you, you know you had the general knowledge to say, well, actually, we kind of had this before. Property's fairly safe, you know. LTVs are seventy five percent. We've got a lot of equity to drop before we really, you know, potentially get into trouble. And yeah, that's really smart. And I'm sure there's a Warren Buffett quote about that and being contrarian. So that's, that's pretty epic to be doing that, you know, in the kind of time that we're in and the time we were in. And, you know, those properties that you all purchased in that month, are they all serviced accommodation as well? Or are you doing sort of standard AST buy to lets with them? Uh, they're all uh, essays, uh, simply because of what we talked about earlier. The margins were so much greater and I just knew I could handle the workload. Like, people say god how do you manage six um uh service accommodations and i'm like yeah try managing 90 mate with high net worth individuals at 50 <laughs> grand a week and the, the excuses i used to get uh, the best one i ever had tej was uh uh hi there we're just phoning up we i just you know, we just don't understand it. The property seems too clean. It's too clean. It seems too <laughs> clinical. And I, do you know what? That was really good for me to hear that because I know now, I knew from that moment, whatever I do, um, 
you know, it was never going to be good enough. And that's fine. But you have to be a certain person with working with high net worth individual and just accept you're never going to be perfect. It's, it's actually physically not possible. And when you accept that, then, you know, you, you, you enjoy your job a lot more because you, you can do whatever you want. You're never going to keep these people happy because they are moaners. It's in their DNA. Uh, but, um, yeah, I, I knew that I could manage six essays uh, standing on my head. But this is part of one of my little secrets, uh, if you like, for a service to accommodation. Um, I give them super yacht billionaire treatment nothing's too much trouble uh, to get really good five-star reviews I don't give them a choice you know uh, they check in I give them a personal call I make sure they're okay I ask them do they want any restaurants books and stuff like that they think I'm off my head you're all over it but in reality the reality is all I want is five-star reviews and I know the longer term gain of that is I'm going to get more bookings more bookings more revenue more revenue more passive income more passive income free time to do what I want which is what this was all about so yeah I do I roll out the red carpet for them for sure and uh yeah always uh essay but I'm sure we'll come on to what I'm doing now uh shortly but uh yeah I've, I've got to the point now where I do I have enough essays where I, I'm comfortable and I want to put my focus into you know standard um sort of AST lets um assured service tenancies just because we all have to remember we have been in an area where we were locked down and my essays were turned off overnight the government said look you can't come down so you know my revenue stream stopped overnight and the mortgages didn't stop I didn't take mortgage holidays for obvious reasons I didn't want a black mark on my name and not black marks probably the wrong way but whenever I go for a new mortgage they always say to me have you ever taken a mortgage holiday and my broker said look just if you can avoid it don't do it because it's not doing any favours for you but you know all my revenue was taken away overnight and I had to still survive you know so we could have another virus in the future I want a future proof and I want to build up my uh, buy to let kind of uh, with the buy renovate refinance but have ASTs that if we do go into a lockdown that stays you know that doesn't get effective have diversity in my portfolio yeah I think the diversity is so important. I mean, I know people who've got you know, X many HMOs and they're kind of going backwards as such to get ASTs just because it's kind of that safety in diversity in having, you know, I suppose the most you know, boring type of investment being, you know, a buy to let. Although the figures, you know, on, on BRRs are pretty awesome. It's good to have that, like you said, for the next virus, which you know, the way humans carry on, we're going to have more viruses, we're going to have the same shit. Um, You know, it's good to be prepared for that. And just generally to have, you know, diversity in any investment asset in any class is is important. And what you said about reviews there, that's so important. Like, you know, I've, I've been to a lot of Airbnbs, as, as many of us have. And, you know, when, I mean, I always leave reviews, but when they do the little things like, you know, you're kind of talking about, I, I me and my partner look at each other and say, wow, like we're definitely gonna leave a review now. Like we actually say those words. So if you called us and said that, like there's just there is no choice. You're getting a review, right? So that's really smart because from a customer's perspective, like a hundred percent. That's that's literally all you have to do. These little little things to get those reviews. And like you said, more reviews, more people, more money. So that's something that people, you know, I don't look at it because my essay is fully managed and it's like always booked. But if I had my own, the reviews and the, I suppose the brand or reputation of it would be absolutely number one and also you know what you said there as well that you've got to your financial freedom probably quicker because you've done SA instead of doing buy to let so again this is something for people listening that hold on a minute you've got the old you know you've got the traditional way yep do lots of BRs do lots of buy to lets you've got the other way which is do lots of flips you know big cash pay yourself and then quit your job and carry on or 
you can do what James is doing, which is the SA route, which when you think about it, I think it's pretty epic and you really, really learn a lot. So James, before we move on to, to what you're doing now and, and the kind of bigger things as people call it, so are you personally single-handedly managing these six essays from, you know, bookings, organizing cleaners, customers? Are you doing everything? Essentially, yes, I am. Uh, however, over the last year, I have really built good rapport with my cleaners. Um, I've, you know, I, I know through my last job uh, how integral you know how important cleaners are they're they're very big shiny cogs in your machine and without them things can fall apart very very quickly so um, I've built a good relationship with my cleaners I pay them really well and I've given them opportunities where they have now become property managers a bit like my old job for the company in rock Um, so when a guest has an issue I get them to sort it out so I'm fairly hands-off but as far as when a new booking comes in it's it's so easy to manage it on the Airbnb platform as I'm sure you know Tej on your phone I can do it from anywhere and I actually really enjoy doing that and that's where I do what I do best that's my guest relations and my customer service of 20 years now experience I really enjoy helping them out and you know recommending restaurants and I do have time to do that so I do that aspect but all the cleaning all the property management kind of when a boiler goes down and there's a problem my cleaners actually the senior ones have become property managers and they take care of all of that for me so I've outsourced that bit and just do what I really enjoy and what i'm quite good at and do the guest relation stuff yeah and i think that makes sense given how you started this podcast which was talking about your passion and experience in well service uh kind of businesses or jobs and and actually communicating with people which is a skill that i think you know if you, if you can't do spreadsheets you can't analyze a deal you can't build a house if you can communicate you can find 20 people to do it for you so it's a really important skill to have in general for for the listeners to kind of I suppose take on but also you're in business to do what you want to do you know you're not in business to hate your job and to hate getting up and hate the activity so again another lesson for people you know do what you enjoy and outsource what you don't so James on to I suppose maybe what you're doing now and if I was looking at your Facebook page earlier you are you doing new builds or conversions or both what are you up to now so at the moment, uh, I've teamed up, I say at the moment, for, for a long, may it continue, for a long relationship, but uh, just backpedalling a little bit, at that uh, property uh, meet in Cornwall, I met another chap uh, called Dan, who you also know, uh, Tej, and a uh, fantastic guy, and long story short, we got put together at a Christmas meal, um, the, uh, the Property Investment Group Christmas meal, I sat next to Dan, and uh, very similar uh, individuals, quite hungry for property and uh, he was doing the rent to rent model but he said to me that he was really keen to do sort of blocks of flats uh, and do bigger properties and that's something that I've always wanted to do that's been the long-term goal for me in development um, of new builds later on down the line and um, after that Christmas uh, meal we had a couple of meetings and uh, Dan became uh, my business partner and we've uh, sort of created a really nice business relationship and uh, I bought some of my investors across he's bought some of his investors across and we're just doing now the uh, the buy renovate refinance model but on much bigger projects so currently at the moment we've got a block of five flats uh this is conversion uh that we're doing in mevergizzi 
Uh, we've also got uh, two large luxury apartments, a five bed and a four bed that we're doing uh, in Cornwall's capital in Truro. Uh, we've got a block of seven flats uh, in Newquay that's uh, hopefully going to be completing in about three weeks time. And we've just, um, uh, we're in the process at the moment of just uh, organising and doing due diligence on a multi-million pound deal in Truro uh, for next year, which is going to be 12 apartments converted on the front end. And our very first new building of a block of eight uh, flats, all fingers crossed for planning permission, um, out the back. So yeah, we're, we're really onto some big stuff. And uh, Dan Blessing, if he's listening, uh, he is coming out the day job next week. Uh, so he's been six years in a company uh, and I'm really excited for him to come out. And uh, so yeah, he's going to be financially free as well. And we're just, uh, yeah, I just really, really enjoy working with him. We've got a fantastic synergy. Um, and with me, he's, I don't want to say not being academic, but he He's so good with numbers. He's really good with the spreadsheets. He's really good with spec. Uh, and I just, basically my job in the company is uh, finding the deals and funding them. Uh, but I also take care of a few things like services, putting in new electric meters and water bills, council tax. I do stuff like that. But Dan's very much more the methodical man and he does all of the numbers. He's the purser of the company, keeps all the funding in check and paying people. And uh, But he's, he's also very, very good at uh, communicating and uh, he can do anything that I can. But we just split the job roles like that really and I'm just really really pleased to have met him and uh, you know uh, my uh, partner Fion uh, she calls him uh, the affair the second wife (laughs) (laughs) like we are on the blower uh, to each other all day long but we just have exactly the same vision Uh, we meet once a week and we are fully immersed in you know where we are now where we want to be and how we're going to get there and I am so so excited about our uh, company Cornwall Living Property um, and, and the direction it's going it really really is very very exciting and it's it's on my vision board it's my dream of you know doing bigger stuff and blocks of flats which will all be uh asts and um i think you know within i'd say a year's time we're going to be doing new build development as well so all very very exciting of what i'm doing now and i think that's it for me in terms of doing my own personal essays oh that's a lie actually i've got one more deal that's about to get over the line in about um i'd like to say two weeks time and that's one of the offers that i made uh, whilst we were in the pandemic so it's been going on a year now but unfortunately somebody in the flat above passed away and I need I needed the probate to go through so that I could get a signing to bring me onto the lease so once that one is um, done and tied up I think it'll be about a, you know I can do it in eight week projects with refinance as well um, that'll be it for my personal portfolio and I'm steaming ahead with Dan uh, and our goal is to get to um, uh, 100 units by 2023 which the way we're going is going to be easily achievable so very excited about that I love that. I mean, I think you have the hardest job there working utility companies. I think that's one of the most irritating and long winded parts of property, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's hard work. Uh, but uh, also some of the jobs that Dan does is extremely hard working with planning and conservation. So I, I, that's a whole nother can of worms and um, you know some of the developments that we're doing are grade two listed uh, which is mm. reflective in a way of why other investors didn't go for it but we did we took on the risk and Dan is absolutely fantastic at dealing with um, heritage and conservation and planning we got such a great power team with the right um, planning consultants and uh, but yeah he does a great job with that so I can't moan about utilities but yeah I think I've lost probably 5% of my life so far in, in queue uh, to, uh, I'm not going to mention who, but you can imagine, uh, but uh, it is what it is. It's not all fun and games all the time, but. 
Exactly. And so I suppose just to kind of wrap up, you know, you've transitioned from, you know, I suppose essay or I suppose beforehand, you know, a kind of normal kind of bite alert, kind of not knowing what to do, you know, traveling on your journey, I suppose, going into essay, getting the financial freedom from them, building you know, pretty quickly in a quite shaky time, you know, for everyone in every sector and in every kind of possible way. And now you're, I suppose people would say, stepping up another level into new builds. Now, obviously, Dan and you both bring different things to the party, you know, for people who are listening, and they want to get into new build, you know, some people want to get into it for their first deal, some want to do other stuff and build up to it. What are your, I don't know, three top tips for transitioning into new builds, which, you know, can really feel like a totally different game to, you know, what we've been doing so far? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And in my experience, not something you want to rush straight into. Hence, we haven't. Um, and I haven't done that on my own either. Uh, but I think you need to be thinking with a new build is who is going to build them. Now, I would say you need to, the people who build this for you, you know, need to be on the ball. They need to be a good, reputable company and you need to have good experience and dealings with them. Well, how you're in the chicken and egg scenario. How do you do that on your first new build? Well, for me, I knew when I was doing um, building renovations and the bigger renovation blocks that Dan and I are doing now, that the people who are doing those conversions of building buildings that are already there we're just chopping them up into flats that they could do new builds so it gave us an opportunity uh, to do new builds in the future um so yeah know who's going to build them for you and build that relationship with them maybe do a couple of uh, renovations or conversions first uh, so that you've got a team that you can trust because the last thing you want to do with a new build is get you know halfway out the ground and then you find out this these people don't know what they're doing and you know you kind of need to have a bit of a rapport with them i know you can go online and go to checkertrade.com or whatever but you know let's be honest with new builds you're not going to be spending things like 30 grand you're going to be spending way in excess of 100 grand here so you want to get it right first time so that's my first sort of tip uh if you like and i think when you build um you know it can be quite scary but go out there and get yourself educated like about new builds go and talk to people who done new builds and problems that they've had you know maybe get a mentor who specializes in new builds and kind of can they pass any tips on to you we all have to start somewhere so apart from reading magazines getting the books on new builds go and immerse yourself with people that have done uh new builds uh like in the past um and you know uh, absorb as much as you can be a sponge uh before you do your first one and then i think it, this is quite a common one but for new builds my god just do your job due diligence you know find out about the land find out about planning find out about what is the best method to build a house these days once upon a time people are always talking about oh do timber frame do timber frame yeah i get that but for me in my experience i'm finding out timber is going up every single friday at the moment it's painful it makes me want to cry <laughs> yeah. i've run out of carex honestly on a on a friday it's brutal but Small little thing, just recently we've been looking at, uh, there's a void in one of our properties that's adjoining to another one um, in, in the loft space. So you could actually get through to next door's property. Obviously, that's a, you know, a fire issue there because there's a void. Um, we've been looking at you know just doing some stud walling on it. It's not a big area. And then fireboard at either side. It's actually cheaper to do it in brick because of timber. So you know, learn what are the benefits of you know doing a timber build uh, and what are the benefits of doing a block build and do price 
nice comparison. So just do your homework on that. Um, again, you know, with the planning side, just do as much as you can on learning how planning works because it's not as straightforward as, as what we all think. And actually just learn how a new, you know, how does a house work? You know, oh yeah, we put a roof on it so it doesn't get wet. Well, actually learn what a roof does. How does it get ventilated? What materials do you use? And just, you know, just watch as much as you can online. There's so much stuff on YouTube of just how a house is actually put together. Um, go and see people that's done it um, and then, you know, start thinking about doing it yourself. So I would say just suck up as much information as you can about new builds because it's a fairly big area and there's many ways to do it. I love that. And, you know, your point there about learning about construction and, and, you know, how houses are built and can be built and what a roof does. I mean, that stuff, I just personally am really interested in it and passionate about it. So I learn about it. But the huge side effect and the big bonus is a builder is going to struggle to pull the wool over our eyes because we know technically and maybe in scientifically sometimes how it's supposed to work. Now, we're not sitting here with 20 years experience in building, blah, blah, blah. But we know the theory of it and we understand it and it makes such a big difference. Um, and it also makes a difference in how you think about refurbs and building. So, you know, that element, I think everyone is listening. You need to do that for a standard refurb. Like go on YouTube. There's so many good people and literally watch every single step of how a house is refurbed and watch multiple videos. Go on forums, engross yourself in this because it will only save you money and therefore probably make you money as well. So James, amazing tips and thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I will put your contact details in the show notes, but where is the best place for people to get hold of you? I would say uh, the best place, just because I get so many uh, emails uh, with the projects that I'm doing, your best place really is to sort of uh, follow me on uh, Instagram, really. Obviously, I'm doing this stuff with Dan, but the best place to find out what I'm I'm doing with those projects is I put everything up on my own personal page and that's uh, uh, James Baker Property. And you can also send me messages on there. So so yeah, you can, Instagram is the best thing because you can, um, you know, you can actually see what I'm up to. I do lots of video updates uh, every week and uh, let you know what I'm doing and I give lots of tips uh, and, you know, things that I found useful on the way along for, with mindfulness and things like that. So yeah, Instagram, James Baker Property is the best way to find me. Amazing. James, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You're welcome. If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.